0: Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Night of the Living Dead, directed by George Romero and written by John Russo and George Romero. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include racial violence, violence against women, and gore. And our hosts rank this movie as scary. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and transcripts. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show.
1: Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified,
2: the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to this very special episode of Progressively Horrified. It's the 100th episode.
1: Woo! Woo! 100 horror movies! We did it, y'all!
2: Our brains are all the more rotted for for having done 100 episodes of it. Oh, so much death. (laughs) So much death. Yes, we've seen so many people by. As always, we are uh, the podcast that holds horror to progressive standards that never agreed to, and tonight... Because it is so special, we decided to find uh, a movie that was just as special. So we're talking about one of the singularly most influential, most important, and most progressive horror movies of all time, the movie that basically invented the zombie genre, George Romero's 1968 masterpiece, Night of the Living Dead. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host,
1: Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I think if there's any movie we've done that actually does agree to be held to these progressive standards, it's George Romero's Living Dead trilogy. Oh, for sure.
2: Also joining us, the cinnamon roll of Cinevites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily?
3: Wishing that hair standards, maybe not wishing that hair standards were back, but of the caliber that we saw in this film, but... Wishing that my hair standards could be of that caliber, but just the least of the this film's triumphs.
2: Yes, uh, this, this film certainly uh, does have hair game.
1: After, yeah. l- after last week's turn down Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's really nice to have watched a, a classic horror movie that lives up to that title because this is, hey, just still a good movie. It is still an yeah. entertaining, thrilling watch. But then, God, when you think about Every zombie trope that we just utterly take for granted that have appeared in dozens of movies and that this one film invented nearly all of them.
3: And they don't say zombie once in the film, which also honestly
1: feels like a zombie movie trope. Yeah. Yeah,
3: it's the walkers and the ghouls
1: and the creepy corpses. (laughs) Ben, uh, you
2: drew the short straw on this one tonight. So uh, let's hear what this film is about. What happened?
1: All right. Join me, y'all, for our 100th film. Our story begins in 1968 when the world was still entirely black and white. Siblings Johnny and Barbara are driving to a cemetery to visit their father's grave. Johnny's unhappy because it's a three-hour drive each way, and it's already 8 p.m. I don't know why they left at 5 p.m., but apparently it's because Johnny slept in mad late. At the cemetery, the siblings are chased by an ashen-faced man who is totes alive. Don't even worry about it, bro. Johnny tries to fight off the zombie and is knocked over and comes down with a bad case of head smash. The zombie chases Barbara some more and manages to catch up because Barbara immediately crashed the car into the first tree she saw. She runs to a nearby farmhouse where she finds a half-eaten woman and just goes into all the shock. Zombies are surrounding the house, but never fear. Ben has arrived, and he knows what the fuck is going on. Ben whoops a bunch of zombies with a tire iron, and then sets one on fire, because fire is about the only special effect this movie could afford. Ben describes how he first encountered the zombies when they invaded a diner he was in, and he fought his way out and saw a flaming gas truck that the movie definitely didn't have the budget to actually do. Barbara tells about how the zombie attacked her her brother and chased her, And Ben hates this story so much that he punches Barbara in the face. Barbara is knocked unconscious and is now pretty much useless for the rest of the movie because Ben 1000% gave her a concussion. Ben is surprised when Harry Cooper and Tom emerge from the cellar. where They have been hiding with Tom's girlfriend, Judy, Harry's wife, Helen, and daughter, Karen. Also, Karen's been bitten by a zombie and is feeling sick. So get ready for this movie to invent another trope. The group watches a broadcast that explains that the reason for the zombie attack is, lol, I don't know, maybe space did it. And that's about all the explanation we're ever going to get. And I love it. Harry wants the board up in the cellar while Penn wants to secure the house. Tom helps Ben while Harry holds up in the basement where his wife can actively hate him to his face. I fucking love Helen. <laughs> After another broadcast advises people to travel to shelters set up by the National Guard, Ben comes up with a plan to fuel up a truck and escape the house. After a shockingly heartfelt and well-acted scene where Tom and Judy debate whether it's the right call to leave the house, Ben, Tommy, and Judy rush out to fuel the truck while Harry fends off the zombies by throwing Molotov cocktails. Unfortunately, the flaws in a plan, whose main components are gasoline and fire quickly become apparent. The gas hose hits the torch and the truck catches on fire, ultimately exploding Tom and Judy. When Ben rushes back to the house, Cooper un- won't unlock the door to let him in because he's the fucking worst. Ben kicks the door down and beats the shoot shit out of Harry for being a fuck. The zombie starts breaking through the barricades, and after Cooper tries to go for the gun, Ben decides he's had enough of his shit and just straight up shoots him. Down in the basement, Karen is reanimated as a tiny little child zombie and stabs the shit out of Helen with a garden trowel because, oh yeah, zombies can use tools in this film. Barbara, meanwhile, recovers from her concussion long enough to try to help Ben barricade the house, but goes back into shock when she sees a zombified Johnny and is killed by him in the horde. Ben, meanwhile, then barricades himself in the cellar where he gets to kill Cooper for a second time. Unfortunately, that will be the highlight of Ben's night. He manages to last through the night, but when he goes back upstairs, he's shot and killed by a marauding band of gun-toting zombie killers who mistake him for a zombie because marauding hordes of white dudes with guns never, ever goes poorly. The end.
3: (laughs) I want to make a quick comment. Ben doesn't hit, he doesn't punch Barbara. She slaps him. Then he slaps her and then she faints. I don't think she got a concussion, but he I-
1: punches her and she falls unconscious. If you are knocked unconscious, that is some brain damage
3: that has happened. She passes out. She faints. He does open palm slap. Yeah, open palm slap. Which, I mean, who knows? It could have given her a concussion when she fell to the floor. That yeah, does, he like
1: just a straight-up punch to me. He comes but, way downtown with his open hand slab.
3: <laughs> yeah, he is a serious slap. But I think that it's really important to mention that until Barbara starts, like, laying hands on Ben to get out of the house so they can get Johnny, and because she's still in shock. Ben doesn't we, Johnny give.
2: Her. Is alive, even though that Johnny was dead before the zombie actually got to him. Like,
3: yeah, I
1: love this whole scene where they're sharing each other's backstories. Because at first, Ben's doing his deal, and I'm just like, dude, she's not listening to you. She, This is all going through one ear out the other. But then it's like her turn, and he starts out like not listening in return, and then he just gets like hostile, like, I don't want to hear it. Calm down, lady. And then just fucking just knocks her the fuck out.
3: Well, I I feel
1: like- That scene escalated so fast.
3: She was definitely coming- undone right like as she was processing what happened she was starting to get undone and he was like
2: scream crying at him what what has happened
3: yeah and i want to make i want to mention this because it's really important to me because half of this time like between ben and barbara that they're in the house barbara's just wandering around and touching stuff and just like completely out of it and ben is like taking stuff apart boarding up the windows finding tools finding food and he doesn't give her any shit until she starts to come undone as she's like freaking out like as she starts to to yell and scream and and try to like push him out of the way he doesn't give her shit for not helping which i feel like is an important point because in a lot of other movies we have characters that are just freaking out and are you know essentially useless but people are giving them shit and the only person other than Ben slapping her when she atta- like essentially attacks him, although she doesn't have a lot of power there. But like again, he fucking decks her and she goes down. Yeah, for a good
1: chunk of the movie, I think it is an important.
2: It is important to differentiate there, partially because Ben is the one black character in this movie, and this is a movie that actually deals with race really well, especially considering it was coming out in the six like the late sixties. Like, yeah, Ben is resourceful and he's trying to get shit done. And Barbara like starts out at not particularly helpful and traumatized and escalates to scream crying loudly and slapping him as he's trying to barricade them in. She's trying to break out
1: of the house. And it isn't Barbara, until that point that uh, he, you know, he lays hands on her. Barbara was frustrating for me because she starts out in the movie making some smart calls that are like final girl caliber smart decisions. She's chased by the zombie. She immediately loses her high heels. She gets to the house. She runs straight to grab a knife. Like These are smart decisions that are then not followed up on for the rest of the film.
2: Yeah, we, we didn't even mention that there's that moment where her brother has already gone down and she is trying to get away from the zombie and gets into the car and then realizes she doesn't have the keys to the car. So she releases the emergency brake. And just gets it to, like, glide down the hill away from the... Trying to get away from the zombie. And is eventually able to, like, get it far enough that she can run away from the zombie and get to the house. Which, like... Yeah, like, she is making some final girl caliber decisions at that point. She's smart enough to be scared when she ought to be scared. But also, uh, she does like a hard left turn at the point that Ben is introduced from being the protagonist of the movie to not
1: being the protagonist of the movie anymore. Yeah, she comes from the protagonist like, the load of the team very fast.
3: There's a point where she discovers the dead body in the... uh, the That's
1: really the turn. That's when, like, she's keeping it together. Then once she sees the dead body, it's shock city from then on.
3: It's really intense because so far that we've seen of the zombies is just people. They're just like people that look tired and fucked up clothes like that. I
1: love the moment when Johnny and Barbara first see the zombie and Johnny's just teasing her being like, "Ah, that guy's going to go get you. And then he just fucking leaves her. And then I said, go back once you was like, oh, shit, he's actually attacking my sister.
3: Yeah. And it's the his the famous they're going to come get you, Barbara.
0: You used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it.
1: They're coming to get you, Barbara.
3: Stop it. You're ignorant.
1: They're coming for you, Barbara.
0: Stop it. You're acting like a child.
1: They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now.
0: He'll hear you.
1: Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. I definitely sympathize a lot with Johnny. I would also be pissed off if I had to drive a total of six hours in one day just to lay a wreath on someone that he says in the movie he doesn't even remember his dad. He's
3: like, still I, kind of a jerk about it, though. Like, Barbara stripe. there's there. Hours, six
1: hours in the car. I'm going to be a fucking jerk about it, too yeah I'm at the
2: beginning I'm a little more sympathetic to him because I don't know if I missed a cue here but it felt unclear to me what their relationship was at the beginning I thought this might be a you know husband-wife kind of relationship where he's just sort of a grouchy husband type but like by the point it becomes obvious that they're brother and sister I was like oh I mean nobody wants to be doing this buddy
3: yeah yeah like The fact that their brother and sister does salvage a lot of that relationship because it's not like every dude is just abusive to their partner. Uh, Although uh, Tommy and Judy are all right. um, Tommy and Judy are a love story for the ages. I mean, Judy is somewhat vacant of character, but. That's true, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I was shocked by the relationship like, remember when the flood came and we were tired? I'm just like, it's such a shockingly tender scene between the two of them that just, like, marks them for death so hard.
3: Yeah, well, there's that scene, and then there's a scene where Ben talks about what he went through, and I feel like that the decision-making there is to have these characters kind of communicate to each other and as they try to process the situation, I thought, was uh, really elegant.
1: There has to be a comic book or novel that explores, like, Ben's time, like, escaping the diner, right? Like this, someone had to uh, someone has to have written that licensed license material or oh, non-licensed because this, this movie is in the public fucking domain. I watched this movie for free on YouTube because the distributor fucked up and like registered under a different name. So, I mean, it should be, right? Like
2: Yeah. We should let movies of this age go into the public domain. I I watched it on HBO because they had the, you know, fancy looking Criterion Collection restored by George Lucas and his um, you know, people version of it. I was like, oh,
1: the black and white is so crisp. If you want to write your own sequel where Ben survived and then takes down the zombie killers and then kills more zombies, you can do that. Go, you could fi- you could film that today and release it. Uh, the conventions are back, baby. Let's do it. Public domain, motherfuckers.
3: Yeah. Get like, on it. I mean, I think that's what movies have been doing for a while, <laughs> but um, there's so much to talk about with Ben. First of all, When he's introduced, there's no comment at all about race, not even like a different reaction from catatonic Barbara. Like, actually, I feel like Barbara becomes catatonic when she sees the dead body, because that is a really terrifying effect. There's like a really horrifying look of the skull with eyeball and everything. Oh, Uh, yeah.
1: It's honestly one of the scariest images in the movie.
3: Yeah. And that's the turning point. And again, like this, this that's another thing this movie does elegantly is it chooses where to just go hard. It's not completely elegant because the ending credits for me seem a little bit gratuitous, but we'll get to that um, as we get back to Ben. I know it's kind of the point, but.
1: I do want to say, though, like just about Ben, Dwayne Jones is the actor is fantastic in this movie yeah he's like, really good the, he, he
3: literally he,
2: like, like, like swoops in he you know comes flying into this scene and is the one who's the most hands-on and i like that he's so well defined and that he is not particularly nice He he's not terribly concerned with being nice to people and, and coddling you know the people who are having an emotional breakdown at this point he is efficient he is looking out for everybody he's trying to get stuff done like he's like All right, what do we have to do? This is this is a list man. He's got like he gets in there and he's like, We gotta do this thing, gotta do this thing, gotta do this thing. Like Yeah. At no point, unlike some other characters in this movie, is he
1: like, I'm just gonna leave you all to your own devices. Like, I'm not gonna help you. He not only takes leadership, he demands leadership. Like he has a line to Cooper that I absolutely love when they're debating whether or not to barricade the house or hole up in the cellar, where he says, You be the boss down there, I'm the boss up here. Yeah. Like, fucking legend. As long as you're up here, you do what I say. Yeah. Granted, it is a little complicated by barricading yourself in the cellar. ends up being by far the most effective survival strategy. Yeah, but... uh, If everyone had listened to him and not fucked up his plans and helped him and unlocked doors when they were supposed to and not poured gasoline on torches, then it ought to have worked out. Yeah, actually, th- I'm still not sure. Actually, I'm still not sure about that truck plan. Uh, that much fire and gasoline feels like an accident waiting to happen. To the point where they can't get the gas tank unlocked. And so they shoot the lock
2: off. And so gasoline starts going everywhere and gets on the torch, gets on the car. And it's like, oh,
1: oh, well. <laughs> that plan yeah. went as, bad, as badly as it could, as quickly as it could. So, a few things about the fire in this movie. A, I love when Ben sets the first zombie on fire. Cause that thing just catches, goes entirely up in flames, like immediately. Yeah, and it's hilarious. I think zombies sweat kerosene in this franchise. Uh, Very dry. Yeah.
2: The uh, news reporter says later they're very flammable.
1: Yes. (laughs) We talked about treatment of actors on films last week of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now I couldn't find anything or anyone talking about this. I'm a little worried about a movie of this budget and filmmaker experience setting real human beings on fire which they clearly did well they've got it's very stunt fire
2: though the way that yeah the people get set on fire it's like it goes up up the leg and arm and a line and then they start you know windmilling and it's like oh no this is this is the stunt guy who's wearing the you know fire padding who you know yeah they set
1: on fire
3: yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty established process, I think, in, in uh, visual effects at that point. But I'm i mean,
1: saying if Sam Raimi in starts into... setting dudes on fire, like in the 80s, making the Evil Dead movies, I would have been worried. I'm like, I, do you <laughs> know how to set people on fire, Sam?
3: I think you can't get any sort of license to do that at all unless it's like the appropriate people are involved. I don't think movie. Texas Chainsaw Massacre got any licenses for any shit it did. Did it set anybody on fire, though?
1: They didn't, though. So that's a, that's a good point. Would have been a better yeah, movie I if we had a chainsaw that was also on fire.
3: There, the, there were some sausages
1: on fire. But yeah, back to, back to this good movie. Which invents so much that <laughs> zombies eat dead people, that they're not voodoo uh, like monsters that obey a master, that they're explicitly, like, dead bodies reanimated. They're slow so, and shambolic. Yeah, yeah, like, I think... The only things about this movie that like aren't like long term is that in this movie they can use tools, which doesn't happen in future zombie iterations, and they have just like I don't know space radiation as the explanation instead of the virus, which is usually what it is nowadays. Pretty much everything we associate with the zombie apocalypse is right here in this one film. Yeah, including that. I say like it it becomes
2: developed over the course of it. Like they don't know at the beginning how to kill them, but you know, the scientists
1: say, oh, you have to remove the head or destroy the brain. Like, that's what we figured out. Like, Ben this guy, like Ben kind of discovers it on his own earlier than that with a headshot that I had in my notes. Like, was this the first zombie headshot in film history?
2: Ben just keeps hitting things until they don't move anymore, regardless yeah. of how he has to do it. Yeah, I think that's interesting to me. And the tools thing, I think, is pretty consistent throughout the Romero zombie films. In, yeah. Uh, you know, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead is, like, the zombies can learn yeah. they can figure out ways to break things and throw things and i think one of the single best shots and single best moments from this movie is the zombie daughter coming after her mom with that garden trowel and it was like because that's that's frightening that oh, yeah. kid is the scariest thing in this movie
3: yeah and the initial presentation of the zombies in this movie are not initially gory like the first guy is just kind of tired looking and shambling
1: Yeah, there's noticeably not zombie makeup on these actors.
3: Yeah, I mean, not a lot of it. And every so often you see a little bit here and there. And then other thing is important. Zombies are all white. There are a few... Female zombies, not a lot of them, but initially the zombies that are attacking Ben and Barbara in the house are all white dudes. Later on, the ward starts consisting of people various states of undress, which I'm sure was very scandalous. There's a naked woman, you see from the back, and then there's like some people who have some makeup on their faces and here and there, sometimes just like death makeup, which is just the sunken eyes and the cheekbones and then otherwise, you know, sometimes a little bit of latex on the face. But other than that, not very grotesque. Which speaks to the initial horror, the idea of horror here of being chased, not just by a mob, even just being chased by a single individual that has animal intent and the lack of sentience, but the human energy, right? The human ability to use tools, the human strength, the human resilience, because after all, human beings are very, very dangerous animals, as much as they're treated as fragile in a lot of horror movies, because the protagonists have to be relatable in that fear, but the idea of something that looks human, that is unstoppable, difficult to kill, I mean, basically human, but cannot be reasoned with, that is a very, very pure, boiled down monster ideal, right? for horror and this movie really does a great job of focusing on that you know not focusing on the gore aspect but just this idea of being hunted by a mob or by a few people for no reason that you can ascertain other than they just want to kill you and that becomes i think a big part of what's being talked about here
1: i love when they're debating if the zombies are strong based off the evidence of them having flipped over a car with Ben being like, anyone can flip over a car. And I loved it because that definitely feels like a conversation I'd have while really stoned in college being like, how many zombies do you think it would <laughs> take to flip a car?
3: But it's an interesting, like, the dynamic with Ben and Cooper is pretty interesting because Cooper does have kind of a point, but he's an asshole.
1: He's like, such an asshole. I love how much- it does as an
3: asshole. Him. Yeah, I his love
1: that. Wife? wife, flat out says, "I w- like we don't like each other. Like I don't like living with you."
3: Yeah, flat we out don't like we don't like living with each other. But I don't think dying with each other is going to solve anything.
1: Yes, that's the line. Like, Hel- yeah, Helen is just fucking unsparing. Helen would be the second most savage character in the movie except for the fucking TV scientist who is amazing. Describe like when in, when like urging people to burn their loved ones because any dead body will reanimate. He has, and I quote the forego the dubious comforts of a a funeral service will give. They're just dead flesh. Minutes.
2: Minutes. Well, that doesn't give people time to make any arrangements. Oh, you're
1: right. It doesn't give them time to make funeral arrangements. The bodies must be carried to the street and 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 burned. Uh, they must be burned immediately. Soak them with gasoline and burn them. The bereaved will have to forego
3: the dubious comforts that a funeral service will give. Uh, they're just dead
0: flesh and dangerous.
1: This TV scientist gives no fucks. I the just, dubious comforts we'll a funeral your will give. Yeah. But holy fuck! He just went there like. Zombie apocalypse or no, this this man is just fucking going for the jugular.
3: The TV stuff, like the TV reports. I mean, the, the newsroom with everybody doing like every kind of communication in the background, like dude on the, t- the telegraph and a guy on the phone, a guy giving smoke signals or whatever. Like there's uh, that was a bit weird. But like that interview with the scientists and the military guy and the sci- one scientist is like, I yeah, there are space radiation and other guys like, no, 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 the space and the military Another guy's like, I can't, I don't, look, we'll talk to you later and I just loved how fucking chaotic that was because it just felt very genuine. Um, I loved
1: when like that. the sheriff was being interviewed and they're like, not trying to commit you to a timetable, but will this be entirely solved in 24 hours? I, <laughs> so was like, I don't fucking know, man. It's zombies. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. I mean, the yeah. sheriff ends
2: up I mean, ultimately being part of the murder of our protagonist. But like, I love the way the sheriff is played throughout it, that he is just like, he's like, man, I don't know. Like I got a bunch of guys with guns. We're just going around shooting them. It takes a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of effort. So man, we're just,
1: we're figuring it out as we go. Okay. So in terms of the ending, I went into this movie already knowing the ending. Like I've known what the ending is for a while. But in my head, I always thought it was like Ben like comes out of the house, bursts out of the cellar, that these that the sheriff and his posse would have like a clear view of him and still like make slightly snap decision, but also make a dehumanizing decision to shoot him. So I was a little surprised when it was just like, oh, a curtain rustled. I see a silhouette, bang, nailed him from like 50 feet away without even not without, like, seeing any detail. Like, I was surprised by how sudden it was.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't... I was pleasantly surprised by that, at least, because, you know, it wasn't, like, super pointed. It was just generally senseless. And I mean, it,
2: frankly, seeing it in the year 2022, like, we've seen worse on TV on a weekly basis from police, like, without yeah, the, the zombie news. apocalypse. It feels much less... Like, oh, like they were making a statement here rather than like, oh, like it's, it is important that he's black and he's conditioned not to even consider that he might be, you know, living human being in this case. He just shoots him and, and is done with it. I couldn't help but think about the fact like in those first couple scenes with Ben, like he comes out of that house and just wrecks shop on those like white zombies that are outside. And I I couldn't help thinking, like, how common it is even now to see, like, Charlize Theron just kill a group of 20 nameless Asian guys or, you know, for Keanu Reeves to do the same. But how rare it is to see a black male character in one of these stories just, like, take down these, you know, white guys,
1: even if they are zombies. Yeah, again, I love when, like how confident Ben is. Ben is like, there's five of them out there. And Ben's like, I can fucking take five of them. No problem. <laughs> I, me and trusty Tire Iron got this. Like, it was like, I just like beat up two, set one on fire, no big deal. Like, Ben at all times is confident that he can kick their shit out of like any individual zombie. And he can. And I'm sorry, I do just want to go back to the ending because again, I was taken by surprise because I've always known what the ending was and the racial implications of it. And I guess the question I pose is watching it and seeing that the execution, poor choice of words, but the filmmaking execution of the scene is that Ben is so obscured in the shadow that the shooter doesn't even see, like, and from such a distance that it doesn't seem like the shooter could even tell what his race was before shooting. Yeah. Does that lessen the impact of the ending? And I don't know. It's a question... it's just a question I pose. I don't know the answer. I mean, I feel like if that were a question that you had, the credits
2: really answer that question.
1: Yeah, yeah, the credits, yeah, the credits, yeah.
2: They make a point of showing these sort of, this white posse that the sheriff has rounded up, they're all white guys with guns, come in with hooks and, you know, scoop up his body with hooks and take him out to the pile to burn with all the rest of the bodies. And it's it's very clearly... Evoking imagery of lynching. Uh, Yes. And they make absolutely, they don't say it, but they really make a point of it in that, you know, in that credits sequence.
3: Yeah. Which is, it confused me a little bit because the whole rest of the movie was so about the story rather than about making that kind of statement. But I mean, yeah, like
1: I don't want to say race blind, but there was a certain refreshing just lack of attention drawn to Ben's race. It, inform, like, it, it informs it? the character and the story. Like, it, yeah. In, yeah. it it informs everything that's going on without a doubt, but... You yeah, know, I would think especially, like, his relationship with Harry Cooper. Like, yeah, the like, way it, that Harry Cooper reacts
2: to him is not yeah. the way he would react to an, a, a white male of
1: equal authoritative Absolutely, thing. and I like that it, we're able to get that and it informs it and we're able to stand, without the movie needing to have, like, you know, Harry Cooper throwing out the N word or slurs during the film. Like, yeah, it takes to achieve that without being that, I don't know what the word is explicit or over the top or what have you, but you know the gist of what I mean.
3: Yes. And that's something that subsequent zombie movies that take from Night of the Living Dead fail to do. You know, whenever you have all these characters that come out and you don't have this kind of just human quality in a lot of these, especially with characters of color, you know, because with a lot of genre films, you have you sometimes have these cartoony characters and they are problematic. The decisions made with Ben are so important in this movie and they're so significant because of the fact
1: that The character, not me, right?
3: Uh, sure. I mean, you're, 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 you're important too. Your decisions are also important. <laughs> but, uh, I say, but, you like, have to like,
1: specify because of Ben's decision. I'm like, is this the recap or is this the character?
3: The character. So no, the character, the decisions that the film makes, the narrative makes with Ben, the character, is very important, especially because this is not the decisions that are made in films that are inspired by this movie. And this movie does representation so much better than movies made this year. Right. Oh, like, yeah,
1: without a doubt.
3: Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad it's in the public domain and the fact that he survives through everything. And then you can once you see the credits, you look back and you say, you know, try to put it together. And you're thinking like, okay, so this guy survived through all of this and was still treated like an animal.
1: I think one another element of this movie, less a trope, more a theme that I think is very enduring. Certainly, you know, especially by the next by Dawn of the Dead kind of becomes like the central theme. And definitely kind of like the mission statement of Romero's films. But again, very much carries over to stuff like Train to Busan. And The Walking Dead is this theme that in a zombie apocalypse, the greatest danger is the other human, is still the other humans around us. Yeah. And that's something that, and that's a theme that has very much endured in the genre.
3: Yeah. And it's also interesting to note that Ben's, Initial reaction to hearing the dogs and the guns outside is not to go out and assume that people are there to help him. He uh, points his gun at the adversary first in order to preserve himself against these zombies. And you know, in another movie, this may have maybe a com a, a comment on violence or whatever. But the whole build of his character is about pragmatism and survival, and also, and that also includes the people he's with. Unlike. Cooper, who is more interested in keeping himself alive rather than like keeping a community together.
1: Uh, one trope that this movie doesn't invent is the survivor's bite and hides it from the group. And while this movie doesn't do that, I think we can all agree that Harry Cooper is a thousand percent the kind of guy who would. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like he's he exactly that kind of guy who, for know, sure,
2: would, would hide the bite and then turn and, you know, get somebody else killed for it.
1: His yeah. role in the movie is just be like, is to just be the target of all of the viewers hate. And he does a good ass job of it to the point where like hiding in the cellar is what ultimately helps Ben survive the night, which was Harry wanted them to do from the start. But he's just such a fucking fuck that, you know, that like you don't even want to give him credit for being right. because fuck <laughs> him. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, I think where this movie hits
2: the nail on the head the most is like we learn what, like a half an hour in, that like Harry and the rest of his group have been there the whole time. Like they were here before any of the rest of them got here and they locked themselves in the cellar. And even though they heard people upstairs, even though they heard like people who were clearly alive fighting against these dead people, they did not come up to attempt to help. They were not interested in lending a hand at all. And like, I think that's like so much a theme of the Romero strain of of zombie movies, where it is so much about the zombies being poor people who are, the rich people are doing their best to keep all of their stuff and not to help anybody else at all. And, you know, the zombies are there to take and eat, uh, eat
1: the rich as it were. I loved when Harry first comes out, was like, we couldn't hear anything from down there. And Ben immediately catches him in the lie. Yeah. Like, I love Ben's attitude towards Harry from the start is, I hate you and I'm not going to put up with one ounce of your bullshit.
3: Yeah. And that's the first time that, like, Ben gets really spiky, that he gets really aggressive. The slap is a different thing, I think, because, that you know, that was a, a desperation moment
2: for both of them. very much a... I don't know, tradition of filmmaking at the time is if somebody starts acting crazy and screaming, you slap them, and that's what solves the problem.
1: I've got to get out of here. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Please, please let me handle
2: this. <laughs> yes. Calm down. I'll get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Calm
0: down. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Don't do your on the phone.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And it, in this case, it also didn't solve the problem. Yeah. and
2: you also well, keep her from screaming for a minute
3: yeah <laughs> and like attacking out him. the door
2: but yeah but
3: even when ben shot harry he oh god that the actor's so good because you could see the like consternation and then the regret and then the like oh, fuck well i had to do it and you could see his like conflict on his face yeah i mean uh, at
2: that point he it's happened so often and been such a big problem that like he knows at some point Especially now, it's either going to be him or Harry. Like, yeah, that's that's the choice.
1: I mean, when Harry doesn't lock, doesn't unlock the door, and forces Ben to have to kick the door in, which is then a huge weakness in the house for the rest of the movie. I mean, that like that's a turning point. Like, that is when it really becomes like only one of them is going to survive. Like, yeah, uh, two of them knowing each other. Like, that was explicitly like harry leaving ben to die explicitly abandoning him to be killed and god is that satisfying when ben comes in and just starts beating the ever-loving shit out of him yeah yeah which and that have I, been like a wildly
2: unusual scene in cinema at this point i know like right romero had i know romero had a lot of trouble like getting the in places in the early days because of the fact, the, the fact that not only does Ben absolutely wreck shit on all of these, like, white zombies, but that he, like, actively beats the shit out of and then has to shoot Harry because Harry is such a
1: complete asshole. Yeah. Like, Ben is, in so many ways, just the embodiment of what white America fears. Like, a strong, intelligent, confident black man who is taking no shit. And is fully willing to just beat the fuck out of any white person that get that tries to get in his way. Yeah, and Harry is absolutely like the
2: embodiment of conservative America. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah, he is worried about his. It's, theoretically, he's worried about himself and his family, but his family fucking hate him. So mostly, <laughs> he is just worried about himself, and you know, can use his family as an excuse for whatever else he needs to do. I and yeah, think there only cares about other people in as much as it benefits him to do so.
1: I think there is, like, masculinity elements at play here, too. You know, like, some very visual stuff, like, Ben has a full head of hair while Harry is balding. Harry is depicted as kind of grumpy, out of shape, and weak, while Ben is constantly portrayed as, like, as very active and strong and common. And I think you really get this with Helen's just constant disrespect for Harry is that like it really seems like fueling the insecurity and I guess you know a different take on exploring gender than you normally get but very much this difference in masculinity I got a little like, rambly and lost the plot on that one I'll admit I didn't have a plan for that you no, I, I, you're
2: you're absolutely right and I think Harry feels so much like this current strain of I mean they it's still they still call it weight supremacy but like this proud boy movement of being afraid of being like replaced by you know other races and like being disrespected by people of other races it's just so like it's so that same strain of bullshit like in the 1967 and it's it god it makes me so angry
3: yeah i mean with harry i think it's really telling that the one person who is closest to him hates his ass the most you know, and I think that's a really important decision with the narrative, because with Ben, we don't know anything about him, but we do see what he does. We judge him from what he does, and he is pretty decent to Barbara. He is polite with her, and when she does fall, she, he, like, makes sure that she's she's safe. He, yes. you know, it gives her space, and then also... He As much has been carried. harping
1: on him, hitting her overall... <laughs> Aside from that,
3: yeah, that's. I mean, that's why yeah. I was trying to be because I like, like. I know, but I've been hitting. I've been harping hard on it, and
1: I don't want to make that the sum totality of their interactions and relationships in this movie because it is not. There is more support and understanding going on.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's not cool to do a hit, and and for him, definitely, he didn't really need to
1: do a hit. Also, just the element of like, again, like I like Barbara. I feel for Barbara. She is like. She begins this movie an intelligent, empathetic, like interesting person. There is a ton of just personality and hit and character that you feel from Barbara just in her first scene with Johnny. So like we are the audience are already kind of on Barbara's side like we feel for her. So it's just even more telling us who to hate and who to be rooting for when Ben defends her and Cooper is just being a fucking useless asshole to her.
3: Yeah, I w- and also, we are following her through her breakdown initially. Well, Ben is it's like a, boarding a breakdown. Yeah, and there's that bit where she's playing with the the music box, and like all the doors open and close, and it does that weird little music box dance, and she's just kind of detached and looking at it. And it was very relatable. And even when she was trying, I guess she was trying to help Ben with the door. And she would, like, go up and she's, like, pushing on the door and she just doesn't know what to do. And I think it's a very relatable situation. And the film is very sympathetic for her, even though she's doing nothing.
2: Could yeah, Even could. Helen is. Like, Helen makes a point of checking in on her. I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of these movies, the antagonistic couple tends to be a unit that comes together. You have sort of the old bitty white lady who is just generally a shit as well. And, yeah. like she really like she's worried about her daughter but she is also always worried about what's going on with barbara she's very concerned about judy and i think tom and judy are, are interesting because i think commented on judy judy not really having much character but i i think they're supposed to be to some extent the audience surrogate because they're the ones that are having to choose between these two alternatives and i think tom ends up like tom could be somebody that you really hate by the end of this movie but he ends up being kind of a good boy, Tom. Yeah, he, he does what he thinks is right, and you know doesn't make judgments based on race or who's yelling at him the most. He does the right thing, and he—I uh, mean—he's really bad at pumping gas, and unfortunately, that gets him killed. But <laughs> Tommy is
1: not good at making his own plans, but at least he follows like the right person. Like at first, he's just like listening to whatever Cooper says, but then as soon as Ben shows up, he's like, "I will listen to whatever Ben tells me to do."
3: He makes a good point of trying to be a, key, a peacekeeper as much as possible. Like, And he never makes, like,
1: an explicit mistake that gets him killed. Like, okay, he dies trying to save Judy when she's caught in the truck. But even, like, before that, he recognizes, like, okay, shit's fucked, but we got to get the truck far enough away that it won't blow up, that, like, it won't blow up and, like, blow up the the gas pump with it. Yeah. And then, like, but... Doesn't stay so long that he explodes, like gets out, but then has to go back. Like there is not necessarily leadership to him, but there is competence and friendliness that is rare to see among a group, among uh, characters in these movies. And also, again, maybe it's just because that scene before they leave for the house is real smolzy and nice and sweet. But there was a moment of make, uh, where I just kind of went and, like, I'm glad they died together like, I'm glad one didn't have to watch the other get killed. Like, they seemed really sweet and in love.
3: Yeah, a little bit of a, um, oh, God. From
1: the, the characters from um, Anna and the Apocalypse. Yeah,
3: they, a little bit of the Anna and the Apocalypse
1: that, situation. That very much came to mind watching it. Yeah. Uh, also a little bit of, like, oh, good, they die in an exploding truck. That seems way faster than zombie devouring, which we then see the zombies eat them, and it, like, that and the dead woman upstairs, like, that is, those are the legitimately creepiest, most haunting moments.
3: Yeah, they're like liver and their intestines and stuff. I mean, it's legitimately. Them. Yeah, terrifying. I mean, you wouldn't think that there was much left of them, but the zombies make quick work of the, you know, it's pre cooked. You
1: know, yeah, like the you know, zombies would get be, a hot you're,
2: meal. You pointed out a good movie that this uh, movie reminds you of the Judy getting a piece of uh, garments that is totally removable, stuck on something and dying because of it. Reminded me of old. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, God, yeah.
1: Swimming through the pipe I, stuck in the coral. I definitely had the moment when she, like, rushed out of the house, even though she wasn't supposed to. I definitely had this moment of, like, ah, Judy, what the fuck you doing? But then was surprised that didn't, like, immediately lead to her death, and it was just, like, the old classic, ah, jacket caught in the seatbelt, a thing that has never happened to me once any time I have ever ridden in a car.
3: yeah. Maybe this was a, a dig it. Actually, I don't think there was a seatbelt. I think it was just stuck in the door.
1: I got to say, my grandpa used to have a car from like around this time and it did not have
3: seatbelts. Yeah, this I'm saying, yeah, this. What were you even caught in? In the door. That- so your jacket's stuck in the door. I don't know. Probably the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are that's a 1950s vehicle. That thing's probably a tank.
1: I mean, I shouldn't, que- I don't, in general, I usually don't question when things get caught in vehicles in movies, because that shit's just as common as quicksand. Like, it's just going to happen.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know what, what felt really real to me is, like, when we see the sheriff and his, his patrol coming up on the house where they end there, and they stumble across this moment that was really traumatic for us as an audience, they find, like, the exploded truck, and the sheriff's like, oh, it looks like somebody had a barbecue. And, like... Yeah it's just so something you would say walking by it, not having any idea what had happened. And it just feels like very real and callous in a way that like, yeah, that's going to happen in a zombie apocalypse. So you're going to, it's
3: yeah. It's it.
1: there's such a casualness too, like when they're doing like the newscast before then. And it's like the day after the zombie apocalypse and they're like, all right, I think we're done here we're about wrapped up. Oh, I can't wait to get home. Oh, long day at the office, am I right? Like, there's just a relax. It's like, we've been through so much danger and tension for the last hour and a half, and these guys feel totally, completely safe. Like, there's no threat going on.
3: Yeah, well, and there's a this casualness to their callousness that is so, like, I feel like it's a bit understated at first, but I think that's another like really clever move for the film because it's just like yeah this is how it is. And cops, although it is uh, referred to a little bit when they're listening to one of the like radio reports or the um, the TV report about law enforcement and the guy on the radio I believe is saying something about how law enforcement's response is bewilderment and then at a certain point the cops essentially assemble a, a mob that go around shooting basically you know anybody that moves and that coming in with our hero ben really builds up to that final credit scene
2: yeah i mean and you you guys were talking about the like casualness of of the sheriff and all these characters who are dealing with the not even aftermath of this thing it's like still ongoing people are still every time somebody dies they're turning into a zombie It just feels so eerily familiar to me in the year of our Lord 2022 of just being like, God, no, that's just the thing that happens. That's just how it goes. People die and there's this horrible thing. We're just going to get used to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's tough, man. It's hard to believe that we would just solve like easily solved zombies instead of just like Oh, well, zombies mean freedom, and so we have to have a zombie apocalypse every every week or so. Yeah. Another
3: town's got to have its zombie apocalypse. And that's one of the reasons that I'm very over zombie apocalypse movies, is because I feel like there's this element to it that is still very real to me.
1: Uh, what about Warm Bodies, the one where Nicholas Hoult is in a romance and a solid quarter of the movie feels like combination car slash Abercrombie commercials? I haven't seen that one. So I guess I have to. (laughs) It's solidly below average, but not terrible. I do want to
3: talk a little bit about the vocabulary in these newscasts where they're like, there's a string of murders, these assassins, you know, and the zombies go from assassins to ghouls. And I just thought that was interesting. But I'm going to take this opportunity to mention that I think that the radiation thing as a zombie conceit is really fucking underrated. Like...
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very yeah. central to this movie being made in the 60s is that like it's radiation from space. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah.
1: It was- very key. As an audience member, I don't need an explanation. This yeah, isn't mean, a mystery. I even need an answer to. Zombies are attacking and these people have to survive a seemingly impossible situation. That's all I need to know.
3: And the best way to make it an explanation unknowable is just be like space madness. For me, I, that's I, really I, good. I did love though before they're like but it's space
1: radiation that's the cause. When they're announcing like, "Hey, breaking news! President's having a meeting with all with his whole cabinet," and guess what, motherfuckers, goddamn NASA's gonna be there. Get hype! I
3: know. <laughs> and, then, I, and then they're like, "We don't have any information," but we're everyone's just like, "Why the fuck is NASA yeah, there?" Yeah, right. And so yeah, like the conceit is that. Some Venus probe brought back some crazy radiation, which causes bodies to come alive again, which is kind of interesting, actually, because it, it speculates that, you know, whatever was on that probe was able to reanimate bodies through the electronic like signals. I'm just I'm like reverse engineering based on what I heard. Because, like, the only way I can see this working is that radiation causes the neurons and the electricity in the brain to fire up again. And then just, like, animate the body from the alligator brain, you know, for them to just, like, consume, be fruitful and multiply. But uh, I thought it was a really cool idea. And the advance. It
1: it works. Like, I'm into it. Like, look, I know viruses are big because, hey, COVID. And also decades, and also several decades before COVID. I don't know when viruses became the main reason. I wonder when is that? Because I, because given that Romero was big, God, would that have honestly been Resident Evil in the nineties? No, no, there that was, could be. There were viruses before that. Is it the Andromeda strain? Is the real world the Andromeda strain? I don't know what the Andromeda strain is.
3: The Andromeda strain is a is a space virus. And oh, it,
1: that's where it's just combining the zombie origins. That's, yeah, that, that's that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Then that, you're going to get you're going to get super zombies with space with space virus. That's like zombie on zombie.
3: Talk about a movie that does have some progressive stuff in it, though. But we'll talk about that another day. Maybe this is October. But stay tuned. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon and you can hear me talk about Andromeda Strain. Anyway, so this movie goes hard and it goes hard like right around the tragic element really goes hard. What's that? truck explodes and then we have the you know the cascade of events which I was not expecting this movie to have the the zombie daughter fucking psycho kill for a, maybe a solid minute of like crazy screams oh um, yeah those
1: no screams echo they reverberate. You know, right? they got all sorts of wonky I don't know what they did but them some crazy ass screams that is a hardcore death of just a small child driving a garden travel then, to her mother over and over. Yeah, that
2: scene, because, like, we see Harry, like, stumble down there after he's been shot and collapse in front of her. And, like, the real first thing that we get that's an indication that the daughter has, has become a zombie is, like, when Helen comes down there, she is eating her father. I, it's like, oh, shit, it just got real.
1: Yeah, I also love how Ben, once again, being on the ball here, is like, oh, our daughter got bitten. And now he doesn't know what exactly is going on, but he knows it's like, well, that sure as fuck ain't good.
3: Did they mention that she had, was bitten?
1: Yes, yeah. she's bitten. And Ben's response is, who knows what kind of virus, they, like what kind of like yeah, viruses right. these things have. Like, this isn't even a trope yet. And Ben knows, oh, shit, zombie bites are bad news.
3: Well, I mean, any anything that is dead can give you some serious infection. Which like- I guess, yeah, I guess, it should just be common
1: sense, bites are bad, but yeah, I don't know. I still, I'm still giving it to Ben for being awesome on that one,
3: uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's more explicit that the radiation or whatever it is is affecting the recently dead, so it's not that the uh, the bite turned her into a zombie, it was that the she bite. died, yeah, from it, the I, bite, yeah. Yeah, which is probably an infection, you know, just a regular old infection, and then the, the space madness got her, but... Are zombies
1: like Komodo dragons? You decide. If Komodo oh, man, were if you dead, got bit by a Komodo dragon, and then you became a Komodo dragon, then it would be kind of like District 8, sort of. District 8? District whatever number, District, where... The guy is in South Africa, and then he gets turned into the bug alien when he gets hit with bug gasoline. District 9. That's the one. I was off by a district.
2: <laughs> district 8 is werewolves, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> werewolves
2: that, look, that, there's vampires after that. Ghosts is, I think, District 3. All the districts are different. You
3: know? I will say, though, imagine being in that audience when that zombie child killed her mother in 1968
1: oh no man people are like oh what would you do if you had a time machine would you kill him i'm mean, like i'd go to 1968 and see audience reactions to the little girl death eh? little girl mur- murdering her mom in night of the living dead
2: then you jump forward 40 years and go see audience reactions to Zack snyder's dawn of the dead when the tiny zombie baby rips People open and starts zipping around the room. <laughs> just, just, I don't
3: listen. Are we, I zombie ever ba- don't
2: talk about Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead in this movie or in this show.
1: Cause Dawn of the Dead, yes. Army of the Dead, fuck no.
3: There was a zombie baby in in Dead Alive. Yeah, that the dude had to babysit for a whole day.
1: Dead Alive
2: knew it was a joke. Yeah, Dawn of the I Dead do, did not.
3: I do
1: like how Ben had that initial reaction of like, "Oh shit, child, this is like bad and freaky." But then he's like, ah, back to the mission at hand. Fucking get out of here. You're not, you're just not strong. You're a weak little tiny zombie child. I'm I'm done with you, child.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think uh,
1: it's that's easily the
2: best part of the movie. We talked it, a lot about the race stuff in the movie. We talked a lot about, I mean, class isn't openly addressed in this movie, but it's very tied up in everything, especially with the race. Class will become a much bigger part of it in the later Romero movies. <laughs> There's no queer representation
1: in this movie No, nothing queer in this movie. In terms of, I struggle with whether this movie is feminist or not, because you look at the characters, it's like, okay, Barbara spends a lot of this movie just being in shock, but I find her to still be a very likable character, and her shock and trauma are very believable and understanding, and Ben doesn't fall to, and like, and like, well, aside from the part where, you know he he uses violence to calm her down slash knock her out are the other characters that we like don't judge barbara for their for her trauma and her shock which makes it easier for us the audience to still support her helen gets credit for just hating the fuck out of her husband who's terrible
2: unfortunately both helen and judy are pretty passive as characters they don't yeah. have their own stories. They don't do their own things. Judy pretty actively fucks up the rescue attempt, whether she means to or not. Uh, so
1: I don't think this movie's like terrible towards its women characters, but I definitely wouldn't, also wouldn't say that any of the themes in this movie are feminist.
2: Those, those five minutes between Joey dying and Barbara getting into the house and discovering the dead woman, Barbara is pretty solid.
1: Yeah. Right, but yeah, I mean, race is definitely this movie is a big thing and Ben is such a well-written interesting main protagonist for this movie like again like his level of just not stoic is the wrong word but just like his unrelenting practicality and pragmatism
3: yeah
2: yeah and there there won't be another black character like him in a horror movie for at least 20 years yeah which is like yeah after this we do have there are several movies like blackula that like have black people in horror, but they're so centered on black exploitation. There's so much active use of tropes, a lot of them racial and racist. And this this movie doesn't have any of that. Like he is unquestionably the protagonist and the hero of this movie. And yeah, it makes a it makes a real statement with him going out how and what he does in this movie.
3: Yeah. And
1: it's he definitely explores it and these are super important themes. Well, I feel it does a good job just letting itself be a pure zombie movie while still doing a fantastic job tackling and exploring and bringing to light these themes and issues.
3: Was he written black? Like, was his character intended to be black in the original script?
1: I'm mean, trying to say, uh, Romero
3: co-wrote
2: the script, and I know it was very much, like, from interviews with him, very much his intention to make a racial statement in this movie. Yeah. And, I, it, you know, you absolutely I have to imagine that later have to be. Romero movies as well as there there are a lot of
1: black characters in Romero's. Horror. And he's I mean, just as a filmmaker, he strikes me as always as very intentional, like the and like just how focused the anti-capitalism and consumerism message in Dawn of the Dead is.
3: I mean, earlier I mentioned I mean, I used the word elegant and I feel like that was that is especially applicable to how Ben is presented in this movie, which is why I ask, because like in 1968, it's incredibly difficult for any film to present a character of color without falling into a stereotypical expectation. And this character is one of these few, like one of these few, just in the entirety of of horror, few characters that could be any race initially until we get like the statement about the police really coming in at the end there, but the I mean I, it sounds like that George Romero intended.
2: Okay, the, there is actually the same information about this. The character of Ben was originally supposed to be. Uh-huh, we've done a, research. A good no. but resourceful truck driver with no specifications on race. After Dwayne Jones, huh. in real life, a self-serious, erudite academic auditioned for the part. Director and co-writer George A. Romero rewrote the part to fit his performance.
1: I love that because. Yeah, damn, like, I don't know. I Again, I just think Ben is such a unique and super compelling main character. And yeah, the fact that this is really good representation that the movie wouldn't see, that the genre wouldn't see again for literally decades, in addition to inventing the zombie apocalypse genre, makes it just such a stronger, more powerful film. But there's one other issue that the movie brought up and, you know, discussed. And it's something I still see people talking about, like every year, and it just really makes you think, like, God, they were still discussing this in 1968, and that's when they're bitching about daylight savings time, yeah.
3: right? Yeah, that's, where that, I, that's one
2: I, of my few notes. My my first note is the traditional American <laughs> discussion about daylight savings time, But like they're bitching about it right there at the beginning of the movie, and I was like, I, love, man, I loved that; it's relatable.
3: Yeah, no, that's like, where I immediately uh, warmed up to Barbara. I'm like, yeah, you get it, girl. Correct.
1: Fucking, like, we're almost like sixty
3: years. We're like fifty over fifty years later, and
1: we're still having these same goddamn conversations year right. in year out every daylight
3: savings time. The the struggle, the eternal struggle, daylight savings, the eternal, their perpetual hassle. So yeah, uh, I think you guys that pretty you much recommend does
1: it. and this movie,
3: hundred percent. Oh, I was cute. In fact, I will lose respect for you if you don't watch it. I'm kidding.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think this movie is worth watching. I would recommend everybody check it out. It's very easy to find. Definitely. As we've discussed. I don't know what the quality is like everywhere else, but it's beautiful on HBO Max. It's really... Oh, fuck.
1: I should have watched it there. Why did I watch it on YouTube? I watched it on Prime, so...
2: It's the Criterion Collection version on there. It's in for... Well, it's in the re-upped 4K, so it's very pretty. You can't even—I mean, you practically taste the chocolate sauce dripping off of everybody in this movie. <laughs> it is—it is chocolate sauce because you don't have to make it red if it's in black and white. Guys, what would you recommend people check out if they're coming off of watching this movie and want to
1: watch something else? I would check out the Summerween episode of Gravity Falls, <laughs> and then watch oh, you the rest are... of Gravity Falls. It's good. I oh,
3: would—I would recommend watching Shaun of the Dead because of. All of the direct references in Shaun of the Dead to this movie specifically, which is uh, important because we a lot of us watch Shaun of the Dead and we have an entire decade or several decades, in fact, of zombie genre that informs Shaun of the Dead. So if you want to have a fun little academic and also fun horror experience right after Night of the Living Dead, which is free pretty much everywhere. Uh,
1: I mean, uh, this movie is it very good. Oh, Sorry. Oh, I thought it was-
3: to be trying to-
1: The movie is very good. Should definitely see it. And again, I know if you've seen all the zombie movies, you've seen all these tropes and stuff like that, this movie still gets credit for inventing pretty much all of them,
2: yeah, like yeah. zombie it- Casablanca. Like when you watch Casablanca for the first time, you'll be like, "Oh, I've seen that. Oh, and I've seen that. Oh, and I've seen that. And it's because they all came from this movie,
1: yeah. yeah. like every zombie movie that you have enjoyed, like, Even if there's zombie movies that you think are better than this, every zombie movie you've ever enjoyed only exists because Night of the Living Dead exists.
2: Yes. Yeah. Ben, did you want to give your recommendation?
1: I was watching Gravity Falls. Um, Oh, yeah. Gravity Falls. I mean, I I guess it's something actually zombie. I don't know. Dead Rising has to be out on some of these consoles. Go play Dead Rising. It's a lot of fun. You get to put on a Mega Man costume and mow down zombies with a lawnmower.
3: I mean, if that's not a selling point, I don't know what is, because if all of my video game purchases and or playing decisions revolve around whether or not I can be Mega Man. Dead Mm -hmm. Rising
1: is, I mean, it's, well, it could not be more Dawn of the Dead inspired with its taking place in a shopping mall setting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And let's see, my, my recommendation for this week, I don't think I've talked about it yet, but recently my family watched the cartoon Dead End Paranormal Park. Uh, Which is on Netflix, which is a which is a TV show. It's an animated show uh, with two two leads, uh, one of whom Barney is a a young trans boy, and uh, the other one, the other lead, is a young autistic girl who both get sort of these jobs working in what is basically haunted Dollywood, and so like they encounter a whole series of basic demons and hauntings and all this uh, weird stuff going on throughout the park. Uh, being haunted by a, a number of evil presences while they're just trying to also, you know, do their jobs working at a theme park and deal with their various family issues. It The show's a lot of fun. It also involves a magical talking dog, which, you know, it's a great selling point for me with anything. But yeah, it, it's not real long. I think it's like 12 episodes and it's well worth the time. It's not particularly scary, but it does have a lot of like fun, horror-inspired tropes and stuff in it. So definitely worth checking out. Well, that's it for us here. Uh, You can find us online. You can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at BenTheCon and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all of their books. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRoom58 and on my website at JeremyWhitley.com where you can check out everything that I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, on our website at ProgressivelyHorrified.Transistor.FM and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod. We would love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. Five stars helps us get into the the ears of new listeners. Get out there. Crawl
3: right inside.
2: Yeah, we just crawl in there. It's
1: real creepy. Like the from Animorphs. Remember the yerks?
3: No. From Animorphs? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
2: I was going to go with the their ear holes are specifically us-shaped. It's like the Junji Ito thing.
3: Oh, Uh, yeah. This ear was made for me.
2: This ear was made for us. Uh, His ears were made for listening. Hell, yeah. So
3: thank you, as
2: always, to Ben and Emily for joining me. And congratulations, guys. We did it. We made 100 episodes of this thing.
3: (laughs) A whole hundred. Thank
1: y'all for listening.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Out there. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, stay horrified.
0: Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by me, Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.